Welcome to the Bradenville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We're located at 285 Church Street in Bradenville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. with worship to follow at 11 a.m. Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. Now, please enjoy our lesson. When studying the red letters of Jesus, and we're going to begin a, a kind of a two-part s- series today, thinking about um, think about this idea: Has Jesus ever broken your heart? The way we use that phrase, we, we think about that in the negative light, right? You know, when you think about a uh, maybe a boyfriend or a girlfriend broke your heart, or maybe your maybe your spouse has broken your heart from time to time, and we think about from the standpoint where they disappointed you. But I want us to think about it from this perspective. What is it about Jesus that breaks my heart, breaks it down, tears down those, those areas of my heart that are hard-hearted towards God and towards my fellow man, and then helps to rebuild my heart in the image of God? You know, we were created in the image of God. You remember that? All the way back in the book of Genesis. God said, let's make man in our image and in our likeness. And so we were created with a heart that was in the the image of God. But what tends to happen to us over time? We tend to get hard-hearted, right? We get hard-hearted about towards things, and we get hard-hearted towards people, and sometimes we get hard-hearted towards God. And you could probably encapsulate a lot of unbelief in the concept of being hard-hearted towards God. Jesus, in our lesson today, in this discussion with the Jewish leaders, is going to try to help us break down our hearts. He's going to break our hearts and try to help rebuild them in the image of God, in His image and in His righteousness. So if you want to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, we're going to be primarily in Matthew 9. We're going to go back to some Old Testament passages, uh, but we're going to be primarily in Matthew 9. In a situation where Jesus is calling, uh, calling a, a, a disciple to come and follow after him. Matthew 9, beginning in verse 9, Jesus passed by and he saw a man named Matthew. Now if you go over to Mark and to Luke, they're going to describe him there as Levi. Why do you think they called him Matthew? Because of the book's named after him, right? He's, he's the one that wrote the book, and so he refers to himself as Matthew. Mark and Luke refer to him as Levi. But this man's sitting in the tax collector's office. And as Jesus walks by, he says to him, follow me. Now this had such an impact on Matthew that he's going to throw a feast for Jesus. Mark and Luke also record this feast that we see in Matthew was at Matthew's house, or at Levi's house. And so Jesus goes to the house of Matthew, and he partakes of this feast. But you've always got, you always got these Jews hanging around, these Jewish leaders. They're kind of like, sweat bees or I don't know what you'd refer to them. They're always just around, right? And they're always they're always in the way. They're always aggravating. They're looking for ways to stain Jesus and to cause him harm. Verse 10 says, Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Jesus here is at the house and he's at the house of a tax collector so it makes sense that there would be other tax collectors there. But this phrase is used to describe a group of people that Jesus is eating with. Now, if you've got your bulletins there, you'll notice that he was joined by these two groups of people. And the tax collectors were, you're probably familiar with this phrase here, but these were the people who were, they were typically Jews, and they worked for the Roman government. 
Now you can see where the conflict's going to start to come in there, right? They're working for the oppressor. They're working for, in the eyes of the Jews, the enemy. And it's not this like they're, they're not just processing papers. These are the guys who go out and collect the taxes. So they're the ones that would go knocking door to door to collect taxes for the Romans. Now you think how popular that's going to be. But on top of that, the Romans had given them the authority basically to extort. They would tell them, this is how much taxes we need to collect in this area, but whatever else you get on top of that, you get to keep. Now you think about how that might look then. Uh, these, these men were known for being extortionists or for strong-arming people, for demanding more taxes than what the Romans required to pad their pockets. Now, a, a very good example of this is found over in Luke chapter 19. You remember there was a little guy who wanted to see Jesus. Who was that? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree. We know the story, don't we? You know that Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and he wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus told him, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. And Jesus went to his house to eat. And you remember while Jesus was there visiting with Zacchaeus, and they're talking, I'm surely, about things of a spiritual nature. I can't imagine Jesus just sitting around talking about the Kansas City Chiefs, although that's probably the team he would talk about. But he, he, he's there talking about things of a spiritual nature. And as he talked with Zacchaeus, you remember Zacchaeus says, Listen, if I've taken anything unjustly from anybody, I'm going to restore it to him. That's indicative of how the tax collectors operated. And Zacchaeus was probably convicted by that, and he knew he needed to restore that, whatever was taken unjustly. And so when you talk about tax collectors, in the eyes of the Jews, they were the hated class. They were probably not quite hated quite as much as Samaritans, who were dogs, but they were a class of people that the Jewish leaders in particular didn't care for. But there's another group of people here that's meeting with Jesus. What's the other group of people that's there? So there were tax collectors and sinners there. And I think that's interesting that a group of people are referred to as sinners. When God looks down at the world, what, does he, what, what could he see? <laughs> a group of sinners, right? Except that he sent Jesus to restore us. But that's, that's, we'll get to that at the end of the lesson. The tax collectors were a group of people that they hated, but the sinners were the people who were not like the Jewish leaders. These were people who lived lives of commonality. They lived lives that often were sinful. They might have been harlots. They might have been thieves. They might have been other things. But they lived lives that were common and unclean. And in the eyes of a good Jew, these people were not to be associated with. I'll give you another example of this. You remember in Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius, that devout man, he was a just man. He was a Roman centurion, but he was not a Christian. He's praying to God, and God sent his angel and said, Your prayers and your alms have come up before me as a memorial. Now send to Joppa and get Peter, and he's going to come down and tell you things by which you shall be saved. They send to get Peter, and you remember what Peter's doing while those guys are coming? You remember the image of the sheet being let down from heaven? It was held by the four corners, and when it's let down, and it opens up, and Peter looks in there, and he sees all these different kind of animals. And he says, not so, Lord, I have never... Oh, and the command comes, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, what, you remember what he said? I've never eaten anything common and unclean. That's the way the Jewish leaders looked at these people. These people are common and unclean. I'm not to associate with them because they are sinners. And so now you kind of get the context of who Jesus is sitting with. 
he's sitting in this in this house of a tax collector with other tax collectors and sinners eating with them and the Jewish leaders they gathered they, they gathered together there and verse 11 says when the Pharisees saw it they said to his disciples why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners I want to pause here for just a second. <clears throat> Does that convict any of us? Do we have anybody on our horizon that we throw into the lot with tax collectors and sinners? Don't, don't talk to those people. Don't hang out with those people. Don't associate with those people. We all have prejudices. Don't get me wrong. I don't think I don't think you can go through this life without without having certain levels of prejudice, and and that word prejudice means what to prejudge, right? If our if our brains couldn't prejudge things, we would go crazy going through this life. And so I know when I when I look at the grass just from my experiences and my prejudices, I know that I'm not going to eat that grass for lunch, right? It's not it's not good. Now it might it might sustain me if it needed to, but that's not what I eat for lunch. And so there's certain prejudices that we have in our lives, but sometimes we carry those prejudices into our relationships with people. Now, Jesus here is going to give them a challenge. He's going to issue a challenge to these, and this is where we're going to see him start to try to break their hearts and remold them in the shape of God's righteousness. Notice what Jesus says in verse 12. When Jesus heard that, when he heard, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? He said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. That, Jesus is telling them, That's why I'm here, right? We sing the song, Jesus the great physician. He came to heal. And not just to heal physically, he came to heal spiritually. And these people were sick. And how are they going to get healed unless they're with the physician? And so Jesus is here in amongst them. He's doing things for and with these people that the Jewish leaders would never do. In other places, he's going to touch people with leprosy. Even under the law, you didn't do that. Unless you had the power to heal them. And that's what Jesus came for. He, came, he said, I came to, for the sick. Those who are sick have needed physician. Those who are well don't need. Why did you think he said the last part? I think it's because those people thought they were well, right? They didn't need the physician because they were well. Their works that they had done in their eyes had elevated them to a level of righteousness where they, God owed them eternal life. God was proud to have them as part of his family. So he says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I love the way he says that to them. Go and learn what what this means. Now he's going to go back to the old law. He's going to draw out something from the old law that they should have known already. But what does it mean to go and learn something? Anybody ever go to school and find out something that you already knew? Maybe so. But most times we go to school to learn, right? To learn something that you didn't already know. And so Jesus is giving them some instructions here to go and to learn something that they didn't already know, that they didn't, even though they had heard it since they were young. 
He's going to go back to the old law and he's going to read out of the old law something that they should have learned but they didn't experience. So if you learn 2 plus 2 equals 4 but when you balance your checkbook you refuse to make 2 plus 2 equals 4, what does that look like? It means you didn't learn it, right? Or you refuse to learn it. Anybody in here, when they balance your checkbook, just refuse to make 2 plus 2 equals 4? Eddie does. Why? Because we want to make it worth 5, right? You know that 2 plus 2 equals 4 only for small values of 2? That's a, that's a math joke. Just, you can overlook that. What Jesus is telling them here is you need to go and learn something that you should have already learned. In essence, what he's saying here is, I'm going to give you a challenge. I want you to break your heart and remold it. And here's the challenge. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not call, come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. What does that phrase mean? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You think back about the old law. And when we think of the old law of Moses... What's the first thing we typically think of? It's the sacrifices, right? All the sacrifices they had to offer. The, the morning sacrifice of the lamb and the evening sacrifice of the lamb and the day of, the day of atonement, all the, the, the bull and the goat and the scapegoat and all the sin offerings and all the, the, the different trespass offerings and all the wave offerings, all those offerings, those sacrifices, those were bound up in the law. But you know what else was bound up in the law? righteousness and justice and graciousness and compassion and mercy and you know what the Jewish leaders were good at they're good at sacrifice you know what Jesus is exposing in their hearts you don't understand you've never learned mercy before now let's go back and let's remind ourselves of a few passages where God tried to help them understand that he desired mercy and not sacrifice. I've got them noted here, Psalm 51. We're going to look at Psalm, we're going to look at Amos, we're going to look at Micah, and we're going to go to Isaiah. These are probably some books that we don't visit on a regular basis. We don't spend a lot of time in Amos, I would suspect. But these were books that the Jewish leaders in particular would have been familiar with, and they would have heard these. They would have heard these taught in their homes. And they would have heard these in the in the in the schools as they were growing up. And they would have heard these, if some of these were rabbis, they would have heard them being taught in the rabbinical schools. They would have known these things if they would have only learned them. Look at Psalm 51. This is, this is David's psalm whenever he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And so this is a psalm of a man who's looking for mercy. He understands that there's a necessary for sacrifice, but he's looking for mercy. Look at Psalm 51. If I can get my Bible to mind. In verse 16 and 17. O Lord, open my lips. This is verse 15, sorry. And my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Notice there what he's talking about. God, my heart's broken over this matter. I am penitent. I'm, I am, I'm, I'm so... God, I'm so sorry that I did what I did. If I would offer sacrifices, they wouldn't be as delightful to you as it is simply that my heart's broken. We see in this picture here, 
the image of God's desire for brokenheartedness over the mechanics of sacrifice. Go with me over to Amos. If you're doing like I am, you're singing, you're singing the books of the Old Testament in your head, right? Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. So if you can find Jonah, you just go back a couple books. Amos chapter 5. This, this is the Lord speaking. And I want you to listen to how the Lord speaks about this topic. Amos chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. I hate, I despise your days. Can God say it any stronger? I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fatted peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But let, let's, listen to verse 24. But let justice run down like water, and righteousness like a mighty stream. You know what God wanted more than sacrifice? He wanted justice. He wanted righteousness from these people. And this was something that could have been said about those Jewish leaders in the first century as well as it could have been of the people in the day that, that Amos wrote it. Turn over a couple pages to Micah. If you turn to your right just a little bit, it should be right after Jonah. Micah chapter 6. And these are, just a, these are just four examples of multiple examples that we could look at where God had warned these people to break their hearts and to fill it with righteousness and graciousness and mercy. Micah chapter 6. We're going to read verses um, 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good. Listen, and what does the Lord require of you but to offer ten thousand bulls? Is that what it says? To pour out ten thousand pitchers of oil. To tithe of mint and anise and cumin. We'll, we'll visit that verse in just a little bit. Is that what he says? He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what these Jewish leaders should have been practicing. When they saw these tax collectors and sinners gathered together there with Jesus, and that's what verse should have been ringing in their heads to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The last one we're going to look at is back in Isaiah. So turn back to your left a couple pages to the big book of Isaiah. And this is the introduction to the, to the book of Isaiah. This is Isaiah chapter 1. And this is going to, going to be the, the, the first soundings of Isaiah's, of the Lord's accusations against Israel through the mouth of Isaiah. Verse 11, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? 
I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meetings. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make me make my many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. I love verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. And yet these people were still confused on this matter. They still wrestled with this. I've noted there Matthew chapter 23. You remember that that's the, that's the woe unto you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites. And down in verse 23 of 23, Matthew 23, 23, he rebukes them there for that what we just talked about. They were able to tithe of the smallest the smallest herbs, the smallest uh, seasonings, mint and cumin. And he said, you've, you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, righteousness and justice and mercy. And so we see that these Jewish leaders, God, Jesus here was trying to break their hearts. Now, let's, let's bring that to today. And, I, and I've already kind of prepped us for this, but I want us to think about, do we have people in our hearts that we're hard-hearted towards? Do we have prejudices in our hearts that God would not, didn't support? Do we have discrimination that we wrestle with? Here's, some, here's a passage, a couple of passages that I want us to look at just to help us understand what, what Jesus wants to do in, in breaking our hearts. I've got four, basically four steps here, and we're going to find them in two passages. So from here on out, you're going to kind of need to hold your finger in one spot and turn to the other. But if you want to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, and then once you find Matthew 7, I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 6. And we're going to kind of alternate back and forth because these are two sister passages. They're going to teach us how to overcome this hard-heartedness, how to break down these hard spots in our lives and help us to, to be more like Jesus, to be more like the, the righteous that God's called us to be. So we're going to begin. I said Matthew 7, didn't I? Matthew 7, verse 1 through uh, 5 is where we're going to be. And then once you get that, let's go to Luke chapter 6 and hold your fingers there. And we're going to kind of jump back and forth. But the first thing we're going to learn from Jesus is we've got to give up harsh judgment. Now right off the bat I want to say this. Some people will use Matthew chapter 7 to beat particularly Christians about the head and neck regarding righteous judgment. Do you know that God's already rendered judgment in certain areas? He's already said that murder is wrong. 
So for us to say that murder is wrong, that's not harsh judgment. That's us echoing the judgment of God. But whenever I look at Dave and I say, you know what, I don't like that shirt, Dave. I'm going to treat you different because of that. God hadn't ruled in that area. He hadn't said anything about that. Actually, I do like Dave's shirt. I'm not. But that's, that's, that's where we start to get into areas of harsh judgment. And Jesus says in verse 1 of chapter 7, Judge not that ye be not judged. Right? Now notice there, he's not telling us not to judge. He said, be careful how you judge because you're going to be held to the same standard. Judge not that ye be not judged. So whenever I start to hold other people to higher standards than I'm holding myself to, God remembers that. So the first thing we've got to do is we've got to start giving up harsh judgment. Whenever we see somebody do something and we think that's foolish, one of the first things we need to think about is, have I ever done anything foolish like that before? Have I ever said anything foolish like that before? It's difficult sometimes, isn't it? Because we set in our minds images of, of particularly people and we say, you know, that's just, that's just Joe being Joe, right? That's how he is. You can't fix him. So there's no sense in trying. Just throw him in the whole lot with the tax collectors and sinners. I'm not picking on Joe here, but I kind of am a little bit, I guess. So the first thing we learn is we've got to be careful how we judge. Now flip over to Luke chapter 6 and listen how he says it over here. Luke chapter 6 and verse 37. He says, judge not and you shall not be judged, all right? So when we start giving people the benefit of the doubt, that's going to help them to give us the benefit of the doubt, but it's also going to help God in his judgment of us. Judge not that you be not judged. And Jesus goes on to say, condemn not and ye shall not be condemned. How many times have we in our hearts condemned people to hell? Now, we don't say that. I don't think I've ever really said that. But do we say it this way? You know, that person is not worthy of the gospel. I'm not going to share the gospel with them. They've already got it figured out. They've got their own church that they go to. Or they're, you know, they're, they're too tied up in drugs. Or they're, they're this or that. Have we ever done that? Have we ever condemned others to exclude them from the, from the study of the gospel? Jesus says, if you do that, you're going you're gonna to stand in judgment. Duffy, you're going to stand in judgment for that. And so the first thing we see in breaking our hearts in this understanding of I desire mercy, not sacrifice, is we've got to tear down any walls that cause us to judge other people harshly. We've got to tear down any, any, any parts of our heart that cause us to judge other people harshly. second thing we've got to do is we've got to look at ourselves before we look at others. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. Well, first off, I skipped verse 2, but he says, For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And there's a reminder there that whatever measurement we use is going to come back to us. Eddie, you want to move over here in the shade? You're getting uncomfortable? Okay. Second thing we've got to do is we've got to look at ourselves before we look at others. He says, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look at plank as in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so we've all heard the example of, you know, you come up to your brother and he's got a piece of sawdust in his eye, right? You ever had sawdust in your eye? 
You know how painful that is? I've, I've, two different occasions, I've had stuff stuck in my eye. and I've Actually, three times. One time I had to go to the doctor. Second time, third time, Susan was able to get it out. But you just go for days a lot of times before you finally get up the nerve to take that thing out. That's called, that would what we would call a speck, right? Anybody ever had a beam sticking out of your eye? Anybody ever had a two-by-four? That's, the, that's the, the hyperbole that Jesus is using here in saying, you try to get a piece of sawdust out of your brother's eye when you've got a two-by-four coming out of your own eye. And he's saying this so that, that, that people can hear it, right? The Jews need to hear this. Why are you trying to judge other people of the little things in their life when you've got big things in your life? You've got big hurdles that you're trying to overcome. He says, first, you've got to look at yourself. You've got to get the beam out of your own eye before you can see clearly to help get the speck out of your brother's eye. Notice the one thing he doesn't say is, leave the speck in the other brother's eye. He said, but you've got to take care of yourself first. You've got to get the beam out. And so what that means is we've got to look at ourselves honestly. Anybody, have, anybody in here... You're, you're your own biggest fan, right? <laughs> you look at yourself and, and you can see yourself without the warts and without all the, the, without all the, the, the blemishes as we tend to do that. And Jesus is encouraging us to take off those rose-colored glasses for just a little bit of time and to see yourself as God sees you. Get the speck out. Next thing we've got to do is we've got to forgive. Notice what he says over in Luke chapter 6. He says, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. How's your forgiver? How, how, how do we do it forgiving? It's one thing to, to help try to get specks out of other people's eyes, but it's another thing to actually forgive them when the speck caused you pain. Maybe their specks what put the beam in your eye. And now Jesus says, we've got to forgive them. And the measure that we've been given for forgiving is the measure in which God forgives us. We're going to forget, God's going to forgive us to the same measure that we forgive other people. Now when Jesus died on the cross, He didn't die for 75% of my sins. He didn't die for the sins that he, that he wanted to forgive and not forgive the others. He died for them all. And so that gives us then a, a measuring stick by which we measure our own forgiveness. Are we willing to forgive other people? To help them overcome the struggles in their lives. Sometimes I think that's a hindrance to us helping other people to get out of the sin that's in their lives because we're not willing to forgive them ourselves. And we got to forgive ourselves. I've talked with quite a few people who are, it's actually easier for them to forgive somebody else than it is to forgive themselves of the sin that's in their life. That's a struggle, but we've got to be forgiving people. And finally, we see that we've got to learn to show mercy. And that's what we see in verse 5. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do you know that you're going to get your hands dirty when you try to get that speck out? It's going to take work. It's going to take, it's going to take commitment. And that's something that, uh, that comes with showing mercy. And not sacrifice. You know, it was bloody to take those sacrifices to the altar. But you know what you didn't have to do? You walked away with clean hands, right? But when you get into the life of a sinner, sometimes it's hard to walk away with clean hands. Now, I'm not talking about a clean soul. But that means we got to get in and do some work. 
Luke says, in Luke, Jesus uh, says it this way, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. I love that. It reminds me of, uh, of Susan, or you know, somebody cooking, right? And they scoop down into the flour. They want to make sure they get a full measure of flour. So what do you do? You beat it down. Or my, my mama had the old sifter, right? You sifted through it and it, you shook it down because you wanted a full measure. And this measure that God's given is not just to make sure it's full, but it's running over. Have you got abundant blessings in your life? Use them to show mercy to other people. Use them to show grace to other people. Jesus, is, Jesus here is trying to break the heart of these Jewish leaders to show them that they can use the abundance of their lives to show mercy to tax collectors and sinners. And in doing that, He's giving us a lesson. Now I can tell you with 100% certainty that this lesson didn't take with those Jewish leaders because next week, we're going to dive into the second part of this. In Matthew chapter 12, the Jewish leaders are going to come to Jesus and they're going to make some accusations against Jesus. They don't like what he's doing on the Sabbath day. And so they're going, to, they're going to make some accusations. And Jesus says, he says, you know what? If you would have learned this saying, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you wouldn't blame the guiltless. And that's what we're going to dive into next week. Another hard heart place in the, maybe in our hearts. Jesus came to this earth. He didn't just come to save the good people. He didn't just come down here to get the righteous and take them to heaven. Y'all remember what John 3.16 says? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He came down here to save the world if the world would have Him. But there's conditions on that grace and mercy. That whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus didn't come down here just to show mercy on the good people. He came to show mercy on the Jew and the Gentile alike, on the rich and on the poor, on whatever, whatever way that mankind looks to segregate himself from other people. Jesus came to break that wall down and to, and to show mercy to all mankind. And that's what he calls us to. He, he, come, he came, and he didn't just come down here to, to take away the guilt of our sins. Sometimes I think we may be guilty of that, of thinking Jesus just came to take away the guilt of sin. He didn't just come to do that. He came to show us a better way to live. He came down to show us the way of righteousness and to make this life abundant. And He came to break our hearts. Is your heart broken today? Are you willing to, to put away harsh judgment? And to get the beam out of your own eye so you can help get specks out of brother's eye. Are you willing to forgive other people? Are we willing to do what we need to do to be what God's called us to be? That's the challenge that Jesus puts before the Jewish leaders and He puts before us. Most importantly, are you a Christian today? Have you obeyed the commands of Jesus in believing in Him? Putting your faith and your trust, all your hope, all your... All, all of your ambitions in life, are, you, are they vested in Jesus? Are you willing to repent of sin in your life? Turn away from those things that you know are in opposition to God's righteousness? Are you willing to confess the name of Jesus?
And are you willing to be washed in the waters of baptism? Jesus says, He who believes in me and is baptized will be saved. If you haven't done that, I would encourage you to do that today. If as a Christian, you let sin in your life. If you realize that you've got sin, uh, whether it be you know prejudice, discrimination, whatever, covetousness, we talked about that in our class. I tried to say that right this time. If you've got things in your life that are distraction to you, come back. Jesus will have you. We're going to sing an invitation song, and we want to encourage you. As we stand and sing the song, if you have a need, please come and make it known. If you don't feel comfortable coming to the front, just come see me after. But don't leave here today with anything that's keep, going to keep you from going to heaven. Let's stand and sing. Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. For more information about our church family, please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page. We hope to see you soon. Till then, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope you have a good day.